Branding Badass, and welcome to Branding Matters, a podcast I created and host to help you create brand equity. Branding Matters is brought to you by Genumark, one of North America's most trusted branded merch makers for over 40 years. Branded merchandise is one of the best ways to create brand awareness. Whether with your team or your fans, there's no better way to show your appreciation, connect with your audience, and build community than combining thoughtful design with great products that tell your brand story. When you partner with Genumark, you get more. More personalized service, more creativity, more innovative solutions, and more importantly, you get it all from a talented team of branding experts who have the experience and know-how to make your job easier and best of all, more fun. From promotional products, custom uniforms and clothing, to sports co-branding, web stores and warehousing, Genumark makes it happen. And being ISO certified, you can rest assured ethical sourcing and sustainability are front and center. Genumark is big enough to matter, but small enough to care. So if you're looking for the right partner to help you create brand awareness, email brandingmatters at genumark.com to start your next project today. That's brandingmatters at G-E-N-U-M-A-R-K dot com. My guest today is a woman I've known for a long time, and let me tell you, she is one badass. Her name is Carrie Schiffler, and she's the author of a new book called From the Corner of Bad and Ass. And this book was so incredible, I just had to have her on. As an actor who writes and a writer who acts, Carrie is best known for her critically acclaimed one-woman show called Tabitha, A Girl and Her Box, which was produced by Ground Zero Theatre in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is where I live and which is where I met Carrie for the first time over 20 years ago. I invited her here today to be a guest on my show and talk about the corner of Badanas. I wanted to know what inspired her to write such an incredibly open and honest memoir. And I was really curious to learn if being vulnerable has helped her with her personal brand. Carrie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have you here and to talk about your amazing book. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you. Happy to be here. Where are you right now? I am in Ontario on Three Mile Lake. I'm actually looking out at this beautiful little lake. It's at a blue sky, surrounded by cedars. It's pretty idyllic. That's it's a long way from the corner of bad and ass. <laughs> Clearly. Well, that's a great segue. I love that intro. So, and it sounds like you're in a beautiful place there. So let's talk about the corner of bad and ass. What, a, what an amazing, and amazing book. I, I can't tell you how much I've been raving and telling people about it and how great it is. So lots to talk about. So before we dive right in, I really want to know, like, where did it come from? What inspired you to write this memoir? And where does the name come from? I'll start with where where the idea came from is, well, I've always been compelled to write. I've kept a diary or a journal for as long as I can remember. Actually, the first diary I was gifted was when I was 13, and it was a Judy Bloom diary. So We all love Judy Bloom, right? (laughs) Who doesn't love Judy Bloom? And so it had little snippets from her books on every page, and it had photos of her and photos from her books and everything. Anyway, so I started to keep a diary at a very early age. And yeah, and I've just always been driven to to document things. And I think I always harbored, well, I didn't think, I harbored a fantasy of my diaries and journals being discovered and <laughs> being published someday. Of course. <laughs> what was your favorite Judy Bloom book? I'm curious. Oh, it was, uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. 
right? Every girl's favorite, I yeah. think. That was a great one. I loved you. Yeah, because she talked about, you know, coming of age and like stuff that is going to happen to our bodies and things that my parents certainly didn't talk to me about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, no. like really good sex education. I heard that there's adults. actually a movie coming out believe it or not, about uh, one, I think it's how you there got it's me, Margaret. I think there's a movie in the works or something. Have you heard anything about that? No, I've not. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep my ears open for that one. Yeah. yeah. So where does the name from the corner of Badnass come from? It comes from, well, first of all, all of the stories take place at this very literal place um, of the West Mall in Rathburn, where I grew up in Etobicoke. And that name came about, I was at a resort in Mexico playing goofy games around the pool. And the guy I was partnered up with, we started talking and he said he was from Etobicoke. And at this point I was living in Calgary. I hadn't been to Etobicoke in decades. And I said, oh, whereabouts do you live? And he goes, well, I were. He goes, I don't, well, actually, sorry. He didn't live in Etobicoke. He worked in Etobicoke as a social worker. And he spent a lot of time at the West Mall in Rathburn. And I said, what? That's where I grew up. And he goes, oh, he goes, yeah, we affectionately call it the corner of bad and ass. I love it. <laughs> because that's where we're called to the most. And anyway, so that's, I, I just tucked away that name in the back of my head and thought, ooh, I'm for now name. on going to refer to my, to where I grew up as the corner. No <laughs> kidding. So this guy, did you, are you in contact with him? Like, did you ever let him know that you wrote this book with that or no, he was just some random guy? No, I, I totally lost contact yeah. with him, but his name is Roy, Roy, the social worker who works <laughs> at the corner of Bad Math. Thank you wow. so much. Kudos to Roy. That's awesome. Well, you know, it's funny. You talk about badass. I mean, the term badass is used all the time these days. I mean, I I branded myself as a branding badass, and you hear about badasses all the time. I actually, by the way, pardon. I didn't hear Branding you Badass. That's a brilliant title, by the way. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I was inspired actually by a book that I read by Jensen Sir called You Are a Badass. And, you know, I tell people her story. I don't know if you've read a book. It's a really great book. And she talks about how she was in her 40s, early 40s, and was really living in her brother's garage and hit rock bottom and was going nowhere fast. And one day just said, you know, like, screw this, I need to do something. And she picked herself up and all on her own made something of herself and became a best-selling author and businesswoman. And, you know, so I always took that with me. And I thought, I love that concept. And so for me, when I think about a badass, I think about people, you know, anybody who really just is self-made and resilient and comes across adversity in their life and really says the same thing, like, screw this, I am have control over my life and I'm going to make something of myself. And they do it all themselves. You know, there, there's no sense of entitlement or anything like that. So that's sort of where I was inspired because I'd come across some hardships in the last few years or whatever. And when I rebranded my name, so I'm curious Two things is one, do you think you're a badass? Because I do. And I want to know what your definition of badass is. <laughs> I am definitely a badass. And uh, and I think you are. I know you are as well. Okay. I am a badass because to me, a badass is someone who is fearless and who isn't stuck by their fear. I mean, yes, it doesn't mean we're fearless, but we don't let fear stop us from getting what we want. And we don't let others define who we are. We operate from a place of, definitely from a place of strength and we are motivated 
by our desire to have the largest life possible and that we are worthy of the largest life possible. By that, I mean the richest life, not necessarily monetary abundance, but from experiencing all that life has to offer, we're not playing small. And I we're love that. certainly not going to play small because someone else expects us to. So no matter what anyone's expectations or definition of you are, you're not going to let that ever stop you from going after what you want and what you deserve. I like the way you said worthy. I thought that was interesting that you feel worthy of it. I mean, I think that's an issue a lot of people have is they don't feel worthy. Do you know what I mean? Like we all have self-doubt or we just oh, we struggle so much with not being enough. Yeah. Not yeah. being enough. Not being good enough, not being thin enough, not being rich enough, not being enough. That's been my, I think, a decade long bugaboo to to get rid of, you know, to cleanse myself of this bullshit idea of not enough. So I'm going to be a badass through it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love that. For me, I have my definition. I love your definition. And I I think it's so interesting. So I appreciate you sharing that with me because I do think you're a badass for sure. And a lot of the reasons why you said, but also after reading your book, I mean, I always thought you were, but really after reading your book more so than ever, you know, and we're going to get into your book. So first line in your prelude to your book, you reference one of my favorite books of all time, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Right, Wall. right. Love that book. And mm-hmm. I, I can't believe when I opened up your book, I started reading, that was the first sentence in your prelude. And I was just like, okay, this is already starting off great. And I resonated with that book for so many personal reasons growing up and everything. So I'm really curious to know why that book and how did you resonate with that book? Well, that was literally the book that I was reading at that time. In that scene, I'm referring to being at the hospital, getting prepped for a colonoscopy. And I had a book with me and I set it down on the bedside table beside me. And the book happened to be Glass Castle. But it's funny because that you picked up on that because I didn't say the title of the book in my first draft that I submitted to the publisher. I just said, I put my book, a memoir, you know, on on the bedside table. And she said, I need to know what the book is called. For some reason, I just thought that maybe there'd be copyright infringement or I don't know. I don't know why I didn't mention it. Oh, I know, because that nurse Dan, Don, went on to say that he didn't like the book. That's why. And I didn't want to ever it to get back to her. <laughs> Someone right. just, was just said disparaging things about her book. That's what it was. And so I said, okay, it was The Glass Castle. And uh, no, I love that book. And I've read a ton of memoirs. And that one really stuck with the fact I read that one twice. And uh, I just was so enamored with how raw, how vulnerable she allowed herself to be in the telling of that story, you know, and that she didn't, she never placed blame or used her parents' situation as an excuse for her behavior, her not accomplished, not not living her best life, right? That in spite of it all, she she went on to have this incredible life and and that's who I want to be, you know, that's why that book resonates. Well, I find it so interesting you say that because, you know, I don't think anything is coincidence. I think things all happen for a reason. And, you know, that was the first line of your book. And then after (laughs) finishing it, I mean, there's so many, I don't know, necessarily parallels, but it was a, I couldn't think of a better book to start off with because, you know, everything that you just said about her being vulnerable and about sharing about her stories. I mean, I remember when I read The Glass Castle and it's quite a few years ago now, and I'm reading it going like, you can't write, you can't make this shit up. Like this is real. And this is what's happening. You know, the scene when I don't yeah. remember when her yeah. father, she learns how to swim because her dad throws her in the water and lets her fend for herself. Right. And you're reading all these different stories. My, my dad did that to me too. My dad did the <laughs> exact same 
same thing. Really? He threw me in this very link that I'm looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember when I was reading it going like, this is, this is greater than fiction. That by the way, is also turning into a movie, all these great books. So who knows, maybe yours is going to turn into a movie too. So we'll go there. But yeah, so I remember reading it and thinking all those things and then reading yours and very similar parallels about that vulnerability, be able to sharing these stories that you can't believe are real. And the way I almost felt like there's a bit of foreshadowing in your book too, at the beginning, because when the nurse talks about that book and you reference how he says, um, that, you know, there's no way this is real. There's no way this is real. This has all been fabricated. Mm-hmm. And probably very similar to your book, because a lot of stuff that you write, like I said, I'm reading it, same thing and going like, I can't believe this is real. Like, did this really happen? You know, there's a famous saying, never, I don't know how famous it is, but I, there's a saying that I've heard where it's never let, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that saying before. And yeah, so that's, that's, why that's a great quote, yeah. So is your book, like, is everything in it true? Is there any embellishment? Tell me a bit about that. There is zero embellishment. Zero. But I did change some names. Did you change some names or all the names? Not all the names. Oh, okay. So that, that, was really, that was challenging for me to figure out what names I was going to change and why. Because at first I didn't change any of the names. And then my publisher said, Carrie, you should probably consider changing some of these names. because. Just think about it. She goes, I'm going to do a disclaimer anyway, but you should really consider consider that. So I gave it some thought. So we had this phone editing session, a phone call, because she's in Calgary and I'm in Ontario, where I just read out all the names. We went through chapter, chapter by chapter, story by story, and she changed the names. So that's really the only thing that's that would be like untrue or or um not well, that's not really untrue. I mean, you, you know, I think that's happens all the time where you change a name to protect the innocent or whoever, right? Or you don't want to get well, protect myself. Too, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I've lost track of a lot of these, um, you know, these assholes in my life. And I, I don't want them to be able to to come back at me with with ammunition, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay, so all these names, I one name again stood out in that book right at the beginning, Sarah Goodson. Like, <laughs> I don't have any relatives right. surrogates, but is first of all, is that a true person or is that a made-up name? That's a made-up name. So and we're just- still in contact. And I changed her name because she's she's connected to the story about someone else whose name I changed, and I can't remember what I changed it to, and I don't want to say his real name. Right. So he, oh, what did I change his name to? Anyway, it was, it's in the chapter, My First Crush, I think it's called, or my, oh, no, My Gong Show Crush. So this fella... I go on to explain, you know, why I had a crush on him. And then afterwards, and then we reunite like 40 years later or 30 years later or whatever. And we meet for some drinks and I get the low down on what. Sean Rubens. Like, I have the book right here. Thank you. Sean Rubens. Yes. Sean Rubens. Sean Rubens. <laughs> That's the made up name, not the real name. Yeah, okay. exactly. It's, it's a made up name. So Sean Rubens went on to, to, he died and Sarah Goodson posted his eulogy hmm. on social media. And that's how I found out about he died and how he died. And in order to be sensitive to his family members, I had to change his name and her name as well, because they could easily track that, you know, of course. does that make any sense? Yes, of yeah. course. So that I want to know how you and came I up didn't with even Goodson. That Julie Goodson and Sarah Goodson. I made it up because I, because she's quite this, she's this lovely and almost angelic like person. And I wanted to name that, would sort of, if I were to like cast this character, 
that like her name would sort of say it all. So Sarah is very, you know, biblical and good son is just good. And no, but <laughs> so seriously, and, you didn't, you okay. just got good son out of the, you pulled it out of thin air. You didn't yeah, just pulled, it anywhere. pulled it out of my ass. Yeah. It out of my I think bag. subconsciously you were thinking of me because I'm so angelic. Oh, that's so funny. Anyway, I, I read it and I was like, are you kidding? That's so funny. It's interesting. You and I have talked about this too a little bit. We just to let our audience know, I mean, we've known each other. And when I say know each other, we know each other socially for over 20 years, probably, right? In Calgary and through people that we know. But I feel like I know you so much better now because of this book. And and, and such a and in such a good, endearing way, because you're just so authentic. And, and I'll get into more about the authenticity. But I want to know, like, you talked about you loved writing and you said you always wanted to do that, maybe discover. But why a memoir? Like, what was it about exposing yourself in such an open and honest, vulnerable way? Like, why a memoir? Well, I think you you just actually answered that question for me with when you said after reading the book, you felt like you really knew me. And I definitely wanted to write a memoir so that I could tell people who I was, you know, and why I am the way I am and all that I've been through, because it has been an incredible journey. And I wanted people to know that it hasn't always been easy because I'm, I feel so blessed and so fortunate now with all that I'm able to do and have in my life. And I never want people to think that I'm taking that for granted or that it's come easy to me. I want them to know that I've had to work and fight really hard for where I am and what I have now. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's all about the why, you know, and and that's that's a lesson that I've learned in the last few years and my later years in life. I mean, you and I are about the same age and, you know, you you tend to see people and all you see is the what, right? And you see how they're acting and what they're doing and what they're saying, but we don't spend enough time thinking about the why behind the what. And the reason I brought you on is A, because I love your book and obviously I want to help you promote it, but B, because I talk a lot about personal branding and a big part of personal branding is being authentic and being vulnerable. And there's a lot of people there that talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. But you obviously, with this book specifically, you walk the walk and you're showing warts and all and all the challenges you've come up against. And I'm curious to know, with everything that you shared in your book, is this book the first time you've exposed yourself in this way? And I don't mean, you know, literally, and we'll get to that, but I just meant... We're going to go there, but have, is this the first time you shared all these stories publicly? No, not really, because I remember, especially in my university years, like going out with people who I just met, having too much to drink and oversharing. Like I was that person who had, ever, had everybody at the table crying you know, at the end of the night because I'm like, and then this happened. And then when I was seven, my uncle, rah, 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 you know, so it's been in me to like screaming to come out for the longest time, you know? Yeah. I've never really withheld information. In fact, I went the opposite way. Like I said, overshared and all that. So, so when you were doing that back when you were younger and you were out and you were oversharing and, you know, maybe it was a cry for help. Maybe it was who knows why. I mean, were there repercussions for doing that? I mean, what was the feedback you were getting? I definitely, I think I turned away some potential friends. I think I scared some people off. Yeah. I was a little too much, you know, because I was afraid I wasn't enough. So I had to give everything, just dump mm-hmm. it all out there, like way too much too soon. So I think I, yeah, I think I scared a lot of people off. I also think though that 
I'd like to think that I inspired other people to do the same, to open, because I would, you know, sometimes encourage other people to share their stories too, or I'd shut up long enough to listen to someone else say, Hey, I can relate to that. This is what happened to me. Yeah. And that, and I think that's, it's always better out than in, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I've heard people say that when you are open, as open as you are, then no one can ever hold it against you, right? It's when you it's when you have all these secrets uh, down, and you you know, and you you're you're not yeah. being you're being the opposite of authentic. You're being fake, and you know you had you're living this double life. But then you're always living in fear of being found out, and people find you know because especially nowadays with the internet and social media, and everybody's got cameras, you're always living in fear. Whereas it's liberating, I would think, to just put it all out there and be open and let people yeah. judge you based on who you are and your experiences. And, you know, they have nothing on you, basically, right? Do you feel that way? Exactly. That's definitely a, a self-preservation approach to, yeah. You know, if you have a pimple, you should be like, oh, yeah, oh, look at this thing taking up my, you know, <laughs> taking up my entire favor. Usually point it out first and then no one thinking the whole time, oh, she's got this big zit on her chin. But if you clear that out first thing, then they can yeah, that's so yeah, have that up on you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just to get serious here for a second, you know, Carrie, you yes, are yes. always so upbeat and you're all and and not in a like you're not fake you're like I said you're very authentic you're very real but you're very upbeat and you have a great sense of humor and you always laugh and you have a beautiful smile and a beautiful laugh so writing this book and I'm not saying too much about the book because I want everybody to go out and buy it but there's a lot of tragedies that happened to you starting at a really young age I mean you were sexually abused by your grandfather and you know you were physically abused and like terrible, terrible stories. So how do you write a book like that and do it with such humor? And was that a conscious decision to do it that way? Yes, absolutely. It was absolutely a conscious way to do it that way or to to write with humor because I care too much about the reader to not do that. I don't want to leave everyone feeling terrible and worried about me. Also, you know, it's, it is a coping mechanism. Humor is a coping mechanism. You know, when things get tough, you just, you you have a choice, right? You either laugh or cry and hopefully you can do both. Did you cry when you wrote part of your book? Was there tears? um, Oh yeah, definitely. And oh, and my daughter who lives in Portugal, but was in Ontario with me for two months while I was doing the final draft, like the final draft, just before I submitted it, she was with me and she was she was so helpful and so curious and supportive about the book that I would read after I finished a chapter, I would read it out loud to her. And yeah, reading it out loud is, is, is where, when the emotions, you know, surfaced as opposed to sitting there and writing it, because I think my brain was too, too engaged, but, but then to just read it and hear the, let hear the words land in the air. And sometimes she read my stories out loud as well. And I was just a mess. Um, hmm. because again, I was just that much more detached from it. So I could just hear how the words were landing and okay. But getting back to humor, like as a kid, when things were particular, well, things were always tense around the house, but I, I learned at an early age that if I could make my mom laugh, things would be a lot easier. You know, <laughs> that, um, and so and that was your goal was to always try to make her laugh. Most of the time, you know? Well, so, you, know, you know, we'd watch the Carol Burnett show together and I would pick a character and I, I would imitate 
them like on my own in my bedroom i would repeat you know how to do mrs wiggins or or whatever all those characters one of the main characters yeah for sure i mean you know i use humor as well i think it's a great way to break the ice i think that's sort of something that unites us all right i mean emotion i mean again it's back to connection and what you know just as much as sad things connect us all humor connects us all yeah we all have a different sense of humor and some people think some things are funny versus other but when you can crack a smile on someone sometimes that's my goal when i meet someone new right especially in business if i can crack a smile and get them to laugh then that instantly warms them to you and then you build that connection another thing that like a, a physical thing that happens when we laugh is that we take a big inhale and a big exhale and as soon as you do that, even if you're not laughing, you just inhale, exhale, you automatically lower your heart rate, your pulse rate, you become more relaxed. So yeah. you're right. It is definitely a, a great way to break the ice. And, and everyone just feels better when they d- breathe deeply and, and laughter gets you there. Definitely. Oh, and, and just another reason why, I, and I chose to, to write, to, to make sure that I you know, wasn't so heavy handed with these stories and infused it with some humor is. Because my mantra while writing this was write how you like, no, write what you like to read. Write the way you like to, what that am I trying to say here? (laughs) (laughs) Write the book you want to read. Yeah. That's what it is. Write the book you want to read. Yeah. I love memoirs, but I, I like them way more if they if they have a bit of humor well it's not an easy thing to do I mean that was my thing I was going to ask you is so writing with humor and I agree with you and everything you just said but did you find that more challenging especially in some of the darker situations you were in to add humor to it or is that just come it's very natural to you to find the humor and everything yeah it comes it comes pretty natural natural to me and I think it's again it comes back to caring about the reader you know, yeah. I love that. That's so true. I'm not and I, here anymore. Like, you know, time has passed. So tragedy plus time equals comedy. And I, so I'm not there anymore. And it's mm-hmm. okay. People don't worry about me. This is- <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's probably cathartic for you too, I bet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about, you know, the thing I loved about you. I mean, I loved everything about it. Honestly, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like, I love this book. I think it's so great. Blow away. Um, as you can see me promoting it all over social media. But another thing I loved is I like the way you broke it down into little snippets, right? So even though you took us on this journey, so you're a great storyteller, you do it with humor, you, you know, there's nothing you don't tackle, but you do it in these little snippets. So I would read a chapter, but you left, you left me wanting more. I wanted to know more about that particular story. And then you would go on to the next chapter and each chapter is pretty small. Why did you decide to do these little, I call them vignettes versus doing just one linear sort of story from when you were born until today? I thought that would be way harder to do. I still think it would be way harder to do a linear story. I don't think in a very linear way. I always just thought I would, my next, because my first book was a collection of poetry. So I always thought my next book would be a collection of short stories. And I wanted them to all be true stories, which they are. Yeah. But I was, a, I'm afraid of writing the memoir. I also don't think I earned the right to write a memoir because, oh, only famous people write memoirs. Or so it's like it was much safer and doable. Well, there's that worthy thing. word again. I know. I know. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not saying I'm, a, I don't get all the answers. I'm still on my journey. I'm still yeah. like a newbie on this whole healing venture. It feels like some days. So that's why I chose that structure is because the memoir as a linear story, it seems so daunting. Wow. And again, 
I like to read short little snippets like that. So I wrote the book that I like to read. Yeah, it's great. No, I, I love it. I just found it really interesting. But I was sometimes I was like, damn, I want to know more about that. And then you would go on to, you know, this next little short story. So let's talk about a couple of stories in there. And, and if you're okay with it, I want to oh. tackle it subject you talk about and you're very open in your book so let's talk about your time as a stripper can you share yeah. what got you into stripping what that whole experience was like for you and I'm really curious to know these are like all these I have a million questions here and we can kind of go through them but I really want to know what that experience taught you about yourself I had had that in the back I that fantasy since I was a little girl <laughs> right or wrong like and some of the other stories do touch on that interest you know and in, yeah in being an exotic dancer one of the stories when you do talk about that when you were I think 12 or 11 and your dad brings his girlfriend over and you're dancing to Patricia the stripper and you strip I'm gonna tell you I used to dance to that song too I mean I never stripped in front of my parents friends or anything but I mean that song right when you think about it so when you were when you when you wrote that scene it was sort of bittersweet because of what's actually happening but yeah I I was playing I was singing the song in my head because I totally remember it so as long as so from that age on it always been so why do you think you always want to be a stripper like what was it I know it wasn't that song I always craved the attention that I felt I deserved and never got you're obviously comfortable in your body is that fair to say yeah and I've always loved beautiful women like watching beautiful women and yeah, both those things. I I wanted to be one of those beautiful women that I saw, like I was raised by the television, you know? Yeah. So I always wanted to be beautiful women I saw on the yeah. television. And yeah. Well, it's your story. What did you learn about yourself more than anything? Because here's a childhood dream of yours that was realized. So I'm curious to know if it was all what you thought it was going to be, a hope was going to be, and what did you learn? Nope. Um, <laughs> I learned that I was far too young and stupid and... <laughs> that <laughs> or naive I should say I wasn't stupid but no I didn't get I didn't get like discovered as this beautiful dancer and get whisked off pretty woman style to LA or you know so none of that happened but what I did learn is that I was better than that and because the whole time I was there I did feel I did know that I was I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I thought I was better than the other dancers. I was better than, I was destined for better, I should say, that I was better than these places that I put myself in. I didn't associate with any of the other girls. For one, they terrified me. And because I was so much younger than them too, but I always knew this is not where I'm going to end up. I've got better, I don't know what I'm doing, but I've got better places to be. And I also learned that I was really strong. It's amazing, eh? How you sometimes you don't know how strong you are till you're tested, and then you really know how strong you are. That's about us. That's exactly what I would say about us is is when you're tested. You know, I just want to elaborate a bit more about on that. You talk about you were better than everybody else there. Now, I don't think you're talking about better dancer, but when you say better, what do you mean? Like, was it like? Because I mean, I would assume that a lot of exotic dancers, strippers. I don't know. I don't I don't know that world. So I'm curious to know. I mean, you know, we've seen Magic Mike and we've seen the male side of things, but I don't know that world. And so were other people in there everybody's got a story. Was did you meet other women that maybe had similar stories to you or what was what was it that you felt you were better? First of all, from all the movies that I've seen that deal with strippers or that take place in a strip club, I haven't seen one that is accurate to my experience or that mirrors what I saw and yeah. the places that I, I, I was in. So, 
So there's that. This is such a good question. This is really good for me to think about. No, I was not a better dancer than them. But I just felt that I wasn't meant to, I didn't belong there, that I was meant to be somewhere else, living a better life. I was surrounded by people who didn't seem like they had more ambition than being there, you know, that they were stuck in their problems, stuck in their issues, you know, and were unhappy with their boyfriends, were unhappy with where they were living, weren't making enough money, hated the club. They were just stuck in their shit. And and I didn't want to be stuck there. I, so when I say better than, I just knew that this was not my place. Yeah. The same as when growing up at the corner of bad and ass, like I knew I wasn't meant to be there, that there was something better out yeah. there. So I felt, I felt the same way when I was in the clubs. For me, when I look, hear your story, it's like the fantasy and the reality did not mesh, right? Your fantasy of when you were younger and being a stripper and what you wanted and the reality of it was yeah. hard and gritty. And, you know, that was the end for most people where you're like, this is not my ending. This is like, I want more. You wanted way more than what that was all, that life was offering you is what I'm getting from it. So. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. Well, I didn't even know what that was. I just knew that this wasn't for me. Yeah. So you obviously had to experience that. So do you have any regrets about that whole part of your life? No, I don't. You know, my only regret in my entire life is that I didn't finish high school. I went to this like amazing Etobicoke School of the Arts, this incredible education. And, and I dropped out like months before graduation. It's amazing. So that's my only regret in, in my, my life. Yeah. Well, you're obviously very smart. You're a great writer. I just want to ask you about your writing. It's funny because you, like I said, you're a great writer. There are some, I don't know, snippets of the book where you're writing in not good English, eh? And was that put on to get into the character? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the dialogue. Like Anytime there's dialogue, I don't take any accountability for grammar because I'm trying to stay as true to the voice of those characters. I including so. myself at whatever age. Yeah. Yeah. And you do that so well. See, that's another thing, right? It's just a small thing, but you can really notice it because your writing is great. And, and then all of a sudden there'll be this part where it's like, wait a minute, that's not real proper English. And my boyfriend calls me the grammar slammer hammer bammer because I'm always like picking on my kids, you know, if they say me and my friends or things like that. Right. But I was reading, I'm like, oh, that's so great. I love the way you would go in and out. So, okay. So I just want to talk a little bit more. We talked earlier about vulnerability, which you are very much so in that book. And I compared that as far as personal branding goes, because the best personal branding and the best branding actually that I see that's out there is when brands and businesses are very transparent and very vulnerable and very authentic, right? And vulnerability is a great way to differentiate yourself because it really builds strong connections. And I've talked about how branding is so important to build strong connections with your audience because that's how you're getting them to fall in love with you is ultimately what you want to do. And then you leave a lasting impression and that's how you get your, you turn your audience and your customers into fans, right? And how I'm a fan of your book and I'm sharing it with everybody. That's ultimately what you want. So I'm curious. I've learned so much by just wait, sorry. I have to inter- I have learned so much in that, just that last blurb, that last sentence <laughs> you just said, explaining what you do and why vulnerability is important in branding. I just learned. Oh, wow. Thank you. Tell all your friends. <laughs> anyway, so with all that said, what lasting impression do you want your readers to have about you after they finish your book? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't really care about their impression. What I want, though, is, is I want to 
I want a Netflix series deal. (laughs) (laughs) But you mentioned earlier, Carrie, you you say you don't care, but I I kind of challenge you on that because you mentioned earlier about how you write for the reader and you said, I, I do it for my reader. So you're obviously care about the reader because everything about your book is speaking to the reader and you can, you're connecting. Like I said to you, I didn't know you much sure, before, I care about them, but I don't care what they think about me. You say, what lasting impression of me do I like, I guess maybe I didn't word it right. So I apologize more about how do you want them to feel after reading your book? Okay, there we go. I can, I can definitely talk about that. I want them to feel empowered to share their own stories. It doesn't mean they have to, you know, write a book, but just to, if they're, they're holding something in or th- something that other, that might make someone else uncomfortable or that they were told in an early age is a secret or for whatever reason, if they have a story, if any of my stories resonate with them, I'm, I'm hoping the feeling is that they, they have to share it, whether they write it down or talk to a friend, a therapist just so important that we give ourselves permission to accept all parts of us, accept all the ugly bits, the vulnerable parts, but you have to first expose them. I love that. I think. Well, I think that's a great way to end this conversation. I love that you said that. I do have one follow-up question with that. There was anybody, authors out there, and they were thinking about how to write a book or a memoir specifically. Do you have any advice that you would give them? Don't be afraid of the memoir. Write it in short story form. <laughs> I would say, well, just start. You're only as good as the last thing you wrote. So write. Yeah. yeah. Just write. Don't worry about, at this point, don't worry about getting it published, what the cover is going to look like, what your target market is. Don't do any of that. Just get your stories out there. That's great advice. And it might, yeah, it might actually help to like share your stories with a friend first to just verbalize them before you write them. But everyone has a different process. Just start sharing. Great advice. Great conversation. Thank you so much. It's such a a pleasure chatting with you as always. So Carrie, if people want to learn more about you and about your book, where can they find the book and how can they connect with you personally? They can uh, purchase copies of From the Corner of Bad and Ass from Amazon or Indigo online or Chapters online. And they can reach me on Are you on Facebook, social? Instagram. I'm on, it's just as my name. So I'm, I'm out there. I don't hide behind any weird moniker. So it's Carrie Schiffler on Instagram or Facebook. Great. Well, thank oh, you. And I'm trying TikTok, but TikTok's really awkward. I don't get it. <laughs> I know. I don't. I. You know what? I have a TikTok account, but I'm not on there that much often either. I mean, there's just too many platforms out there, and it's hard to spread yourself over all of them. So, uh, well, you know, job. I think just having fun is what it's all about. So whenever I do anything, I just try to have fun with it. Well, thank you again. Do you have any closing words? Yeah. Embrace your inner badass and let them out to play. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, thank you again. I look forward to seeing you in person again soon. That was so much fun when you were here in Calgary on your little book tour. So hopefully you'll be back doing a movie tour next. <laughs> Ooh, that would not be something. Thank okay. you so much for your time. I've learned so much. It's really informative for me. Me too. Okay, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. 
This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like help creating brand awareness for your business, please reach out to me on any of the social platforms under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. I promise you, I reply to all my messages. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson, also me. So thank you again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there. Thank you.